A zig ziggin diggy diggy dog and barrel riding. Hi, it's me, Tim Clare, and this is Death of a Thousand Cuts. It's a show about writing. The The theme tune isn't that normally. I just uh, wanted to mix up my intro because I've learned the intro so well over the last uh, 20 or so episodes. In fact, you probably know it well enough yourself if you've been listening to, to, to reel it off without a thought. Just wanted to shake us out of our routine because... I think we sort of slightly switch off when we know what to expect when there's not a certain amount of novelty and a little bit of shaking up the older mental snow globe can can wake us up and get us paying attention and working. So that's why I did that song. Hi, this is a show about writing, basically. And I wanted to read a uh, another listener email. I get lots of emails from you, the listeners. I really love reading them. I don't answer all of them because I can't be bothered, but I'm very grateful for all of them. Nonetheless, you'll just have to take my word on that or not or not take my word. I mean, if you don't take my word, it's not going to change my behavior. I'm just still not going to uh, reply to all of them because I, you know, I have a have a job. I'm not going to it's probably a good idea for me to not get overly defensive about that, assuming that you're all pissed off with me for not replying to every email at length um because then that i just sounded sort of weird and bitter and no one was having a go at you tim tim it's all right and then i'm kind of and then i'm seeming crotchety and then i'm annoyed about something that no one else is really annoyed about and um anyway here's the um email it's uh, from christina it says hi tim i have a request for a potential writing ramble a little bit little more presumptuous, Christina. You know, I'll be the judge of that. No, I'm joking. Um, open brackets. I realise these are not request-driven, but I'm trying anyways. Close brackets. Well, that's certainly honest of, of you. And I'm not, you know, I'm actually not particularly... I'm not like, read the read the guidelines first before you send me an email. You can send me an email about anything, it's fine. Um, I finished the first draft of my first novel about two months ago. In many ways, thanks to the Couch to 80K boot camp. Thank you again and again. I'm, I, I didn't need to include that uh, bit of kindness there, but um, I'm, go- I'm going to anyway, because uh, if you haven't tried the Couch to 80K writing boot camp, it's free, it's available, you can do the whole eight weeks help you feel happy about your writing again. I think you should if you haven't already. Um, I set it aside, she's talking about her novel, uh, for exactly a month and then picked it up and read the whole thing without editing. There seemed to be a consensus that those were the next two steps following a first draft. There seemed to be a consensus. Excuse you. There seemed to be a consensus. Citation needed. There There seemed to be a consensus. How can there seem... Where... Where is there seemed to be? There seemed to be. That seems like editorial, editorializing. I'm not sure how. I've never ever read that advice before. Maybe I gave that advice for all I know. I mean, I don't want to go in too hard early on. But anyway, I'll keep going. There seemed to be a consensus. I've never seen that before in my life. Um, but then, what then? I'm sitting here trying to edit the prologue in chapter one and I'm just about going mad with confusion and doubt and fear that I'm doing it all wrong. So I'd be really, really curious and interested in hearing your editing process. It's interesting because there is so much advice out there on the writing process. Tell me about it. But you don't really hear much about the editing process. I mean, I have done, you know, not being funny, but I I am now 180 episodes deep into a show 
almost entirely about the editing process, but that's, you know, that's fine, Christina. Let's keep moving. Um, and it's sort of terrifying. It's literally terrifying. Um, everybody, Everyone says, just get a first draft written. Keep writing. Just keep writing. That you keep going and going and don't even think about the world you're opening up on the other side until the doors open and you're stepping off a cliff. You just have to figure out how to live in this new place while you're falling fast. Anyways, it's not clear that I'm panicking. I'm panicking and just want desperately to make my novel the thing it is in my head and now sort of also on paper. I love your podcast and your work. Thank you. And it would mean a lot to get your perspective on how to go about this next scary phase. And I have a feeling I'm not the only one. I have a feeling so too. Thank you again, Tim. Best Christina. So um, first of all, thank you. And I appreciate the kind words that you, you said there. They um, didn't necessarily make me more likely to answer a letter, but... Um, sort of jokes aside it's always like it's always really nice when someone says something kind and generous and I'm really glad that some things that I've done have helped you so first of all like you you have this line in here so we're talking about just to summarize Christina's working on a first draft well she's done her first draft she's coming back to edit and she is concerned because she's starting to encounter resistance in herself and anxiety about whether she's doing it right and she's not, not sure what to do and she's trying to edit the prologue and first chapter and she's really coming unglued. So her question sort of goes into where some kind of more request. It says, I would be really, really curious and interested in hearing your editing process. Well, so I want to start off and for anyone, you know, if you're going to write a book, you're going to have to have an editing process at some stage, right? Unless... I think even the sort of most hacky, quick writing uh, commercial writers who really just sort of put, give themselves a little plan, bash something out, do they, even they do like a little line edit, even they make some changes. Uh, I'm a super, super detailed redrafter and editor. I've like I've got what probably I've got some beliefs about that that probably shade into like actual prejudices um and so I'm kind of I'm, I'm rather wary of going into this topic just because I, I think I might look like come off as snobbish and mean-spirited and a bit of a dick because a lot of books I read, I go, this isn't fucking edited well enough. You haven't spent enough time on this. Now, from the author's perspective, they might retort, if they could be bothered to answer me at all, and they might just say, well, I don't need to justify myself. If you don't like it, Tim, then don't read it. I, you know, I don't owe you a perfect book, and they would be completely justified in that. Um, but they might retort, one, the writing is you know, pretty much good enough for what I want it to do. Which is like, yeah, you might not be going for the things that I'm going for in my writing. And that's okay. We're allowed to write different types of books and we're allowed to seek different pleasures in our novels. Now, I don't think, uh, BT dubs, I don't think that the pleasure of a um, well-plotted book or exciting characters or just like crazy shit happening... Um, I, you know, exciting, cool stuff like spaceships and lasers and monsters. I, I, I don't think that is antithetical to good prose and like rich, nuanced characterization and uh, big themes. Uh, but that's, you know, that's a discussion for another time. 
I, 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 I'm, I'm the reason I'm telling you all this, Christina, is because uh, I want you to understand some of my biases and my prejudices, and uh, you know, the, the, you know what steers my writing because your goals for your writing and mine may be different, and that is going to really affect your sense of how you do your editing process. I, you know, I'm slowly coming round to this idea that we need to customize our editing processes. And I'm not big on all this saying, you need to do what works for you because I think that's a cop-out. I think that's just like someone asking you directions to somewhere, to the train station. You go, ah, yeah, you know, it depends where you start. Do what works for you. I just, I just want fucking directions to the train station. And I know that you've been there and come back successfully multiple times. Can you just tell me a bit about where you went and not be so fucking coy about it right that it makes me angry to see professional authors just go do what works for you they're just saying i can't be fucking bothered to answer the question answer the bloody question if it yes yes it's a complicated question to ask yes it's going to require nuance and intelligence and a little bit of thought for you do that work don't hold back and go oh, do what works for you like you're being some kind of like egalitarian like cool uncle of writing and going hey no rules kids it's like fucking think about it break down your process and abstract it out for the edification of people don't roll up the bloody rope ladder behind you because you can't be asked or you don't want to you don't you don't want to lose your mr chips style kudos by actually doing some teaching or actually committing to one style or another be a fucking Pokemon gym leader. Say, this is the way I do it. And this is what works for me. And I think it's cool. And also have the balls to say or the ovaries or the, you know, just uh, um, guts to say, look, I think there are ways of doing this that are wrong. Because I fucking do. I've read books. I don't go, uh, you know, there's many ways to uh, fillet a feline. There's many ways to write a book. And this is just another. There are some books are bad. Some books are bad. Why is this? Why do we struggle so much to actually say this in? Well, because, you know, because I spend most of my time in the hot mess that is the Twitter discourse. And it's just the. See, this is what happens when I talk about these things. You know, uh, then the world of creative writing, if you get too deep into it, it's just a a fucking mess of courtly intrigue and no one talking about, like, is this sentence good? And that's why writers don't know what to do, because no one's talking about fucking style. And it's not that things like content, that things like theme, that things like... Uh, like diversity and inclusion and who's writing the books and who's getting paid. It's not like those aren't really important subjects that have been neglected for years. They have. But can we fit, find space in the conversation for fucking style? Can we find space in the conversation for people actually having a discussion about what makes a good book? Because I say fuck all of that and it makes me so weary and I think it is affecting the quality of books that come out that are written partially because of financial pressures. And I know I've gone into a rant now. I know I've shaded into a rant. I am going to answer your question, Christina. But this is why it's good doing writing rambles, because you get it completely unfiltered. And I would, you know, I would pull my punches if I was talking about this, uh, you know, online or in some kind of... Because I, would, because I wouldn't want to say these things. But I, you know, there are financial pressures that mean people... that it, it, 
benefits writers. Writers are rewarded for writing too fast, badly and pandering. All of those things fucking just write short, pandering books that are that, that have bad prose that have wonky plots um do all that and you are going to have better sales than and look i you know my dog in this fight is i spend fucking ages to write a book partially because i've got an anxiety disorder partially because i've had a, had a you know i've become a dad so those things took up time but you know i i really get the fact that you're panicking because i have this like writ large i'm like this kind of like comic grotesque of writing anxiety so but what that means is that the symptoms that you're experiencing are so exaggerated in me that they're actually quite easy to observe the mechanisms of them. But it's tough writing at the moment because if you don't write fast, you're fucked. And so if you care about quality, you're mostly fucked because there's just not your books are not going to sell sufficiently to cover the gap that you would have done if you just like hammered out three <laughs> books. And I know I sound bitter. And this is why I want to like wind a lot of it in, right? Because I want to sound like this cool, cool guy and go, hey, I'm not bitter. Like I've made my cho choices and I'm very happy with those. I just think what's the fucking point of writing a book that you know deep in your heart was like all right and really it came out because you couldn't be asked to do any more on it or you couldn't you actually didn't have the analytical skills to make it better like you lack the ability to parse your own sentence answers and make them better so and there's a you know there's a market and an audience out there for those and i'm sort of feel defensive because i feel like people are going to accuse me of snobbery but like it is difficult writing i suppose like i write literary fantasy and there are a lot of people who well no the market for literary fiction has been shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and that's difficult and some other markets have been growing. But then when you combine that with fantasy, so actually like a lot of people who might consider buying literary fiction will be put off by the content of weirdness. It's tricky. It's tricky because a lot of fantasy readers come to my stuff and go, it's too fancy. It's too slow. You spent too long with these characters. I want a story that moves quicker and I don't really care about whether the sentences are written well. I don't really care about descriptions of rooms. I don't. I just want it to move. I want something that I can read and go pip, 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 and get through. And then there's literary fiction readers who are like, oh, I feel weird if there's like a, if there's anything that isn't like social realism in it, I get weirded out. So what do you do? Well, I just try and write books. And I try and edit my books, and this is my editing process, just to make them the fucking best I can. And I've just kind of ignored the existence of a market. And I've kind of ignored the commercial side. And maybe that's why, you know, like I'm always on the breadline because all I care about is making my books the best they can be. And if that takes five years, it takes five years because I don't want to look back at my life and go, I hammered it out. That's to me, that is the quintessence of hackery is not going into your books with love and dedication but 
what those things aren't is perfectionism. And this, I think, get hit is going to shoot to the crux of what you're experiencing right now and what I often experience because it's very difficult to discern between love and dedication and perfectionism. Love and dedication can happen without the branding iron of fear being brandished behind you. Perfectionism is a kind of you know what it's a it's actually the in many ways the opposite of love it's a kind of miserliness of imagination it's a kind of miserliness of creativity perfectionism doesn't allow you to make mistakes love and dedication require you to make mistakes they require you to go through the process of learning, of building things up, of accepting that when you write a novel, you are going to build it up, not incremental piece by incremental piece. You're not setting gems in the uh, fundament of some uh, sort of beautiful existing uh statue of uh guilt and uh sort of uh, wonderfully intricately crafted materials you're not setting gems and you've got to get each one perfect before you move on to the next it's not that intricate or at least not at the start it is a process of getting a rough shape of sketching some triangles, some circles, some tubes for the arms. Something that, to an external you know, viewer, is not going to look very impressive at all. And then when you've got the proportions right, when you go, yeah, this is it, then you can start putting some meat on those bones. And then after that, you can start looking at it again and going, is this right? And you stop, you doubt, you change, you move on. And slowly... You build this up into a detailed, intricate, beautiful thing. And if you care about it and if you love the work and if you are dedicated to it. And I. Oh, God, I mean, like I, it's a it's the closest thing I have to a spiritual regimen, you know, and that may sound weird for someone writing sort of odd fantasy books. That are just, you know, sometimes have like gunfights and stuff. You may go, well, this is just silliness, isn't it, Tim? You can't take it that seriously. Well, I do fucking take it that seriously. I don't think it makes me a, a sort of rarefied breed among humans or even among other writers. I'm just saying that this is my task. This is one of the things that gives my life meaning is, I, is I'm a storyteller. And... I care about my craft. It doesn't make me more valuable or smarter or better than anyone else in the world. I'm just saying that someone else's craft can be bricklaying or being an electrician or teaching or arguing case law or an historian or... A parent and when I'm in this role my 
you know, my meaning, my craft is is to write, and that's why I care about it, and that's why I think it's worth thinking about these things, and that's what makes the difficult parts of it. It gives them a lot of meaning because they're an intrinsic part of the roads to making it good, and the challenges help me grow. They're actually a kind of they're a kind of exercise and a kind of food for me, and I learn stuff about myself by doing these things. So. The honest truth is my editing process is a lot like yours, Christina. It often has periods where I close down because I worry that what makes me a writer is doing this really well. And that isn't. What makes me a writer is caring. What makes me a writer is turning up and what makes me a writer is practice and we can build these things up slowly and we have we learn from mistakes like the thing is if you are getting anxious if you're looking at your work and finding problems if you're looking at your work and doubting first of all congratulations I don't ever want to encourage neurosis in the listeners. You know, the reason I did the Couch to 80K writing bootcamp to begin with was because I was getting an awful lot, and I've said this before, I know, but I was getting an awful lot of emails from people saying, I really love listening to your show. It's just I, I now feel realise how bad I am at writing, and it's I'm really locked up. And I was like, oh, no, I'm giving everyone kind of cystitis of the pen, right? They just can't right they except for the like every drop of ink that comes out their pen is like burns because i've made you hyper aware of what you're not doing well and i don't want to give you my neuroses on the other hand it's great that you have standards and a critical eye and the ability to analyze your work and you don't just look upon your work and see that it is perfect i mean it's perfect it's a perfect um, iteration of that draft, of that moment. But if you look about on... God, I mean, how many books have you read where you look on it and just go, this is unimprovable? I... We should have... There are too many novels are published. We should have high standards. And we wave a lot of stuff past and we wave a lot of stuff through. And just because readers will consume a lot of like interchangeable crap just because they're like they'll shrug and go I don't really care just because they don't mind if the author can string a sentence together or not you know if it could have been written by anyone really doesn't mean that you as the author can't take pride in your work it doesn't mean that we constantly have to be going towards the lowest common denominator it doesn't mean that we can't say you know what this this matters to me I write like I do because that's the thing. I look back on my books now and I put so much time into editing them and I cared so much. I look back on them like, this is fucking great. And I can say that without arrogance because I'm just like, it is. <laughs> because it is. Like, that's, that, that's the bottom line. It just is. Like, even people who maybe have read it, who like give them bad reviews going, oh, I don't like, you know, fantasy is silly or I didn't understand it, it's too complicated. Even they have to go, it's Tim, Tim can write a sentence, right? He's made an effort. Like, I, you know, I just, know, it just is. Like, it's not deniable. No one, no one has ever said it's not because it just is, right? And, and that's the kind of, that's a, there's a real piece. Then I have no neurosis about the books I've put out. I'm like, they're good. They're great. 
They, they'll, they'll stand the test of time. They're fucking great. I did a good job, right? That's the payoff. Is I don't get this distancing thing where I write and write and write and later on I look back at my works and go, uh, you know, I rushed that one. Yeah, it's not. I'm not so happy. I'm just like, it's fucking great. That's lovely, right? And and there's and I get one chance to be on this earth, and I do not want to get to my deathbed and be thinking, oh, in writing terms, ah, uh, you know, I ju- I just knocked some stuff out because it was easy and I wanted the money. I want to do my best as a human being while I'm here on the earth, and and so all of that, but all of that doesn't excite fear in me it doesn't excite anxiety what we need and i think there's this concept called the cognitive load and decision fatigue and you know like anything in psychology uh they're just hypotheses uh the models have predictive power in some sets of circumstances and less in others and whether they're provable in any senses you know the studies are mixed but i think they can be a useful way of looking at these processes so if you think about cognitive load is like how much your brain can take on at any one one time and uh, writing or editing a novel uh creates produces a huge cognitive load a huge burden on the processing power of your brain if we can use the sort of slightly wonky metaphor of a computer processor right you, you you're having to do a lot and it's why when you're doing a first draft you sh- people say you know you just got to try and get through to the end well part of their thinking and I, I i think that's it's a flaw the reason a lot of people struggle with that is because it's a it's a flawed suggestion it actually doesn't cover a bunch of situations you know just get to the end however you can what if as you point out uh you know what if you know what if uh you know you're, you you step off the cliff what if the story seems to be going in a way that's not very interesting what if you think you start suspecting you made a mistake do you keep going well that's the advice we've been given well actually that's shit advice because your book will go you'll write an entire first draft with the plot taking a direction that's not helpful and actually you need to take a couple of steps back and you realize this was a misstep this that the character did, didn't make sense to them you can't keep going like that it will get harder and harder to write and you'll just conclude the book isn't right you can't keep going like that it's such a bad bad suggestion unless like a lot of writers uh especially commercial writers you see that they have had that you can see in the final draft they did have that awareness that the character wouldn't do this that this is illogical and they just have the character start going he could he could just walk out the door they why why didn't he flee but no even if he got away he they they would probably track him down eventually and he didn't know why he stayed but you know something stupid like that where you can see they've got had the character just kind of go address here's some problems you might have with with this completely illogical bullshit but um unfortunately i've got to be in this room for the purposes of the next chapter so um, i'm staying and characters don't do anything interesting they don't seize control they don't act in a dynamic way they don't push the envelope they don't surprise you right so you've got to have that as an opening thing and 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 and, and that uncertainty which is uh, here's a word I, I learned uh in the last couple of weeks speaking to psychologists and psychiatrists anxiogenic so like it creates anxiety but 
you've got so much to think about, right? And even when you come to the sec, so you, so let's say you managed to get through a first draft, you get to the second draft, and now you're editing. There are so many variables. Every word could be replaced, theoretically. Um, you've got style, you've got sentence length, you've got word choice, you know, what's your vocabulary, what wet register are you drawing from? Do you add a, an adjective here? If so, which one? Do you take one away? What noun, is the noun strong enough or weak enough? You know, are you going to, I mean, these are things that I'm often asking myself. I'll look at syntax quite a lot. Does this sentence end with the most interesting word in it or one of the most interesting? Ideally, a noun. A concrete noun would be perfect, right? I'm often tweaking stuff for that. How do these sentences like link? Is it clear what's going on? Is, is stuff happening in a roughly chronological order? Have I used more than one simile or metaphor per page? Because you need to really dial that back because they can just grow and grow like dandelions. And soon your whole page is this massive circle jerk of likes and the sun with a golden coin shining in the sky like a bird that had been set on fire by a cruel child or whatever your particular riff is and um, it just bogs the whole story down so you've got to think about these things and then is is is, is would the character do this because now I'm like looking back and I'm thinking about what's to come and actually my sense of this character developed over the story but now I'm back at the beginning does this is this an interesting place to start even have I set stuff up properly is there are there any inconsistencies does a character have an item that they later don't do they have an attitude to something that inexplicably changes without any kind of motor for that development there's so so much you can be thinking of and it is this uncertainty is potentially anxiogenic so it makes you feel like it can create generate anxiety and it creates a huge cognitive load and when I was talking about kind of like decision fatigue having to make more decisions in a row you know there's some talk about whether this is kind of like wears out uses up glucose in the brain but um certainly as the day goes on decisions get harder to make uh because we've made a lot and we're also getting tired more tired uh, if you're anxious, that is going to use up glucose in the brain. That's going to tire your brain out as well. I'm, you, you know, I'm simplifying, but um, anxiety makes it harder to uh, use this. What we call, uh, you may have heard this in my episode with the uh, neuroscientist Adam Green, but divergent thinking is harder when you're feeling anxious. Uh, anxiety and the hormones and neurotransmitters it releases naturally try and dispose the brain towards a more focused thinking and kind of like more when you're the more anxious you are the more your brain will filter for things that you don't it'll be looking for threats it'll be looking for things that have gone wrong with the piece things mistakes rather than opportunities to build can i add you know if you're building a word well say you're writing science fiction or fantasy is there an op opportunity here for me to introduce a concept is there an, you know, because when I'm really flying in an edit, I'll be looking at stuff and going, is there a, an opportunity here for me to use a more exciting word? Is there an opportunity here for me to sneak in some sort of exciting hint of a history or a cultural thing? You know, like the name of a certain drink that they have there or, 
you know, hint at the kind of food that these people eat or technology? Can I be, can I go specific? Can I use some kind of, can I, can I hint at some piece of folklore or use some expression that hints at the existence of a, you know, a god or a minor deity in this world, in this section uh, that, that just makes the world feel more expansive, that makes it feel like it existed before we came into it and it will exist when the story finishes. I'm kind of doing that all the time when I'm re-editing something, trying to, like, plump up the density of the piece. It's like soaking... I think of, like, each sentence as, like, a you know, like a raisin that I'm soaking in rum to kind of plump it up. I want each sentence to be wet. And, and that's not the only way of writing. I was looking at uh, an extract posted online um, by... Uh, the Australian author Garth Nix, who's been on the show to chat with me. And he writes in a very, very simple kind of like st strip down is going too far, but he's really good at choosing simple wor words if that's your style. But he manages to make things feel, uh, you know, you can still see it. He still picks concrete specific things to talk about. And he still has an eye for the telling detail. He just sort of like, cards out quite a lot of cruft that might be making the sentence hard to wade through uh but you know he'll he'll invent specific items that a character is holding and we get a description of it and that evokes a bit of the world and suggests a bit of the world so i, I still think it's good so there's not there there are despite my big rant at the beginning there are more more than one way there there is more than one way to do this but um I think you can still start building these. I, I sort of think of them as like little algorithms or like little flow charts, little subroutines in your head that you're running each sentence through. And by, and by practicing it and doing that, actually, you do reduce some of the cognitive load because as your cognitive load increases and your decision fatigue increases, this is going to get like exponentially harder. And then you're going to start going, I can't cope. Oh, I feel overwhelmed. And then the anxiety rises. And when the anxiety rises, you're more attendant to the your perceived mistakes in the piece you're more looking like i'll give you an example of how anxiety works because it's something that i'm writing about at the moment and because it's just an omnipresent part of my life at the moment i'm really looking for ways to to get rid of it and but we all experience it even if you don't have like an anxiety disorder or a panic disorder um you still as a human being experience less or more anxiety on a daily basis now my wife was delivering leaflets a couple of days ago and she put one through a door and uh, it wasn't her usual round but the person who would deliver those um had broken their ankle so and she put her hand through a door and a chihuahua terrier crossbreed jumped up the other side and bit through her finger shattered the nail a bit into the um meat of her finger blood was everywhere um, I had to go with her to A&E. She was incredibly brave about it, but it left her really shaken. And the next day, she'd been all right. But the next day when we, we went out for a walk together and I noticed she was starting to, she was a bit on edge and she was kind of casting round for danger. And she'd been worried about our daughter. Um, she was like looking to see if our daughter would, you know, like in the house... She was very aware that, you know, there's a hob there. I'm worried that she'll burn herself. And she hadn't been, you know, my wife hadn't been sort of like that edgy before. And 
all that adrenaline and cortisol running through her system was making the threats in the environment, you know, like a, a car coming from a distance away. The sound of somebody shouting, could that be somebody who's angry, you know, who may be acting a bit erratically. The barking of a dog, all those potential threats popped out of her environment and and then they re and, and they re-stimulated your her sympathetic nervous system more adrenaline more cortisol more faster heart rate far you know more dry mouth all of those things and one of the reasons i suspect that things like doing a gratitude diary which i know we sort of think are cheesy but at the end of the day, they're free to do. No corporation is making money off you if you decide to write down three things that you're grateful for at the end of each day. I suspect one of the things that does is help retrain us to notice different things in our environment. If you are anxious, you will start filtering for threats. And then because of this thing called the availability heuristic, because you notice more threats, you're conception of how many threats exist in your environment um, you overestimate it right because it's easier to bring threats to mind than it is to bring neutral things there were, you were surrounded by neutral things all that time right you were surrounded by good things uh we actually ended up walking past and we saw a heavily pregnant cat and we thought it was about to give birth to kittens but it turned out it was just doing a poo but it was it was really nice we saw a, a guy I was talking to my wife about her playing her key keyboards when her finger had um, he has healed. And I said, you could do a little keyboard recital. And I mimed doing a keyboard recital. And then a man walked past. And um, for a horrible second, I thought that the man who'd walked past um, was prog rock legend Rick Wakeman. And he thought I was doing taking the piss out of him by by um, saying by doing an impression of someone playing the keyboard. It turned out it wasn't rick wakeman it was just a local man who looks a bit like rick wakeman um but that was like a, just a funny nice moment of serendipity i know it's not you know in, intrinsically entertaining but the point i'm trying to make is we you know threats like exist in a bed of neutral and lovely things but if you're filtering for them you will overestimate their prevalence and severity in your environment what's this got to do about editing well at the moment the more you panic the more anxious you get, the more you're, you are scanning purely for threats and the less able you are to deal with them. Each time you see one, it uh, re-stimulates your anxiety and reduces your ability to do creative thinking, divergent thinking, because we don't need to do that when we're running away from a bear, right? And it's going to be really difficult for you. And I, I talk about this because I struggle with it every day. And I'm doing a new draft of like this new book at the moment. And I'm struggling with perfectionism. I'm struggling not to go back to sentences. I get really excited about writing and then I start writing down. And, and it just, and like you say, it comes out not as you hoped. Now, I want to say, you said, I'm panicking and just want desperately to make my novel the thing it is in my head. And now sort of also on paper. Forget that. I think one of the, clearest piece of advice i could give you is just forget the thing in your head not entirely obviously it's useful to have as a sort of north star and as a reference point but novels will unless you have chosen the most unambitious fucking dull as ditch water pedestrian 
generic, done-before-a-million-times story, your novel will never turn out on paper in its final draft the way it was in your head. It will be mistranslated by the various systems that it has to go through to get to that page. And that, Christina, is a good thing. That's the wonderful alchemy of writing. It won't be what you thought. It will surprise you. Your subconscious will creep in. Characters will, when fully realised on the page as people, will do things that your mental model, which is a useful rule of thumb, your mental model is incomplete. It's in, it's it's uh, it's it's insufficiently sophisticated, and writing it onto the page will mistranslate it in a way that will introduce a kind of a kind of extra author. You, I can really understand how authors like uh, authors who you know like like the spirit patience worth kind of channeled through this through this uh, Ouija board by Pearl Curran. Uh, I can really understand what how people writing can feel like a kind of spirit has taken over because when you write and you give yourself to it, the flaws and random mutations... You know, we are here because our genes do not trans always transfer perfectly to the next generation, right? There are random mutations in the... Uh, when when offspring are produced and sometimes those random mutations produce something that is better fit for the environment and so those mutations are then passed on and normalized and standardized and made part of the creature right that is how we you know we as human beings have mistranslated ourselves from monkeys we have slowly shape-shifted into People who can have conversations, who can trick rocks into thinking, who can build stuff out of minerals and hammer metals out the ground and go into space and breathe there. You know, that is all a process of mistranslation. So don't knock the fact that your book is not looking like the image you had in your head. It's great to have that dream, but don't shackle yourself to it don't make it the terms on which you're prepared to make a story make your story bigger than the thing in your head the thing in your head is just a map it's not the territory and give yourself over to the possibility of being absolutely bewildered by it because inside and i've said this before but inside the kind of like fear of uncertainty you know anxiety wants certainty but there is possibility there is this rangy richness that you can make discoveries in and you can surprise even yourself and characters can do stuff you didn't expect and the story can do stuff you didn't expect and you can re-back it, back your own story and find it yourself a stranger to some of the things that are in there and realise you were talking about something, you were sneaking something out past the guards of consciousness. You were talking about something that was so important to you that even you did not know you were writing about it. That is what you have to do. But how can you feel less anxious? Well, um... You know, I think this is a psychological state that is to do with... There may be some points where you need to... Or that it helps you to write down a kind of bare-bones plot outline of where you think the plot needs to go. I 
you know, I poured scorn on it at the beginning. I don't think you need to read the whole thing without editing. I may have advised that before. <laughs> I dare say I have. Um, but I think you can do eventually, maybe. But it's worth just going through and, you know, as a soft edit, you know, open it up if you're using Word. Open it up. Uh, any things that you think might need changing you can uh, plop a comment in a comment box just saying oh, i think you know is this is this a good word for this invent a reason why they do this or you know check later does this make sense or is this a good word if there are bits of sentences that you just think the sentence makes sense without it and you could cut because it's got all that grammatical cartridge you know things like would have and sort of and things like that or it's just a clumsy way of phrasing it you can just um Paint it up for destruction by highlighting it in, say, yellow. Um, and anything more comp complex than a, a cut, you a, a deletion, you can put a comment box. You're not changing the text itself. You're just painting up potential changes, right? You go through the whole thing like that. It's kind of like a soft approach. It, you're doing no actual destruction of the text, right? So it, it, it can that can release the grip of the anxiety a little bit because you're going, I'm just... Just painting up targets, Captain, right? And then you can then come back and start implementing some of those things. And then you can make... A, and then you get this kind of second pass, right? And sometimes you'll realise, actually, this... You know, having read on now, I remember that this bit is dealt with later on. So often I'll say... I'll imagine, I'll imagine that an extra sentence is needed. I will write it out in the comment box and then a paragraph later word for word i will find that exact sentence or like a, a witty piece of dialogue or something i'll realize that i've already written it so you can do all that all that and i cannot think like having a soft pass and then the actual and then you save a new version of the file uh, and then you do a hard pass um but that's all that's still kind of like line edits and structural stuff um if there's bigger structural problems that you start to identify then again writing out that like little plan and looking go maybe this then you can just start tossing some stuff around in terms of uh like the physiological experience of feeling anxious and panicking when you're writing in specific reference to that i'd say you know a lot of writers swear by going for a walk the only issue with that, I think it's something really healthy that, you know, we should all do. Uh, the only problem with it in a as a response to anxiety and panic when you're writing is that you are mildly reinforcing the act of removing yourself from the potential source of the anxiety, right? It, there's a mild reinforcement there where you go, OK, I'm going to go out and do a walk and you get like a dip in anxiety and that just gives it that's a little reinforcement cycle that you're giving yourself of going when i feel anxious i should move away from the writing every time we go and we mindfully wisely expose ourselves to a trigger like writing which is one of you know makes me feel anxious so i think it's like eat you know, tr things like trigger warnings and content and warnings of, and, and the idea of triggers has, has been, it's like, you know, there was a, you know, year, a few years ago, it was, a, you know, we talk about these things in progressive spaces and then progressive spaces. Mm, yeah, but you know what I mean? And then we, 
And then, you know, and then there were people, you know, largely kind of Trump supporters who started mocking things like trigger warnings and calling people snowflakes. And then the and saying, are you triggered? And then it's like people on the left and progressives just went, oh, yeah, it is a bit stupid and kind of like started accusing people on the right of being triggered. And it all became a big joke. And actually, the idea that knowing about triggers and thinking about them can actually help you face up to stuff and be braver a lot more because this is the thing is every time you face up to the writing and turn up to the at the page even if you set a timer for 10 minutes right and so i'm going to do 10 minutes at editing and then i'm going to go and have a, a quick walk around the house for five minutes then i come back and I'll do 10 minutes editing every time you show up um you are you could do some deep breathing before or after you know i think that can help but you are reinforcing the idea that that tr potential trigger is not that bad you are giving yourself a chance to experience the fear and you are not flinching away from it and that can help it to loosen its grip okay now again you know talk about decision fatigue and uh this idea of cognitive load those things are that kind of stress uh you might only be able to do it a few times in a day at first because you can actually find that you do that a few times and then your willpower kind of runs out and that's okay but i would just encourage you to not do anti-anxiety things that involve too many escape routes from the source of your anxiety because i think hanging out with it is the best way to realize that uh, it's it's not it, it's not the bertie big bollocks it thinks it is and you and, and you are tougher than that but you need to do it mindfully um i think in terms of your work you're just you know i can't give specific examples of what you need to change but it's very difficult to doing macro and micro level things but the important thing i'd say like doing that process of a soft pass and then where you just mark up the changes then a hard pass really helps and then also just using a timer and at the beginning saying i'm going to edit for 10 minutes and setting an alarm on your phone or on a sand timer or a you know kitchen timer or whatever and when the bell rings getting away from the computer for a little bit and then coming back i think you can do that and then you can choose to be there and you can help retrain your physiological response to it and you can just remember and just remember that when you get anxious you will be more alert to things that you don't feel you're doing very well and look if you want you can even do do the equivalent of a gratitude diary but at the end of each day when you've done some editing Write down three things that you think you have done well in the bit that you you've written. You know, write down three things like oh, I think this I really like this character actually. I really enjoy reading about them, or I think this sentence is a good sentence, or I think you know this. I it's I've done really well in this paragraph to not include too many words, or this was is a great name for someone as big or as little as you like. That can help you retrain your mind to notice the good things you do as well which are really important to notice because otherwise you might cut them out but if you're not careful it's not about sort of pollyanna-ish mindless optimism it's about not going into the hen house and picking up all the chicken shit instead of the eggs 
you've got to have the ability to you know yeah of course you sometimes you need to go in and do cleaning in which case it's important to notice the chicken shit but it's important that you are you don't get distorted views which is what anxiety distorts your view of the world very deliberately right it's to help us spot threats because those are salient features of the world if you think you're in danger where are the threats we don't need to stop to notice some art or an act of kindness by a stranger those aren't salient to avoiding danger right same thing happens in uh when we're doing writing and you know to a certain extent people go well and it's maladaptive because it's uh they were meant to deal with physical threats well no i mean human evolution and things like that have been keeping going well into our being a social species and we are socialized to fear ostracism and we probably have quite a lot of you know genetic sort of innate uh, fear of ostracism because that was a really scary thing and when you're looking through your writing and afraid it's not good enough you probably is triggering in part that fear of ostracism that fear of doing something and getting disapproval from our peers because in the you know it's not so long ago that ostracism were from the community would mean death no access to to water no access to agriculture you, you would be dead so when you understand that and you understand what's going on, that there's like some primitive part of you, right, back in your kind of like uh, in the hindbrain, right, that is going, shit, shit, I can't fuck this up. I need people to like me. And when you notice that, then we can make some uh, deliberate choices to uh, try and not override it, but work with it. And, you know, there will be some stuff you've written in your first draft that's a bit shit, but that's all right. And... I think being able to notice that is a sin qua non of being a good writer. If you don't have discernment, you know, you might be able to sell a lot of books, but, you know, what's the point? And how, and, and to be honest, how many bestsellers do we, you know, remember 70 years later? Very few. If you go and look through the, like, British bestseller lists of the first half of the 20th century, I suspect you will recognise almost none of the titles uh, from the weekly bestseller lists because those books kind of faded away because they were all interchangeable and the ones that stick around are the ones that have had care and love put into them i think i'm going to stop there before i uh, incriminate myself further um best of luck with your writing christina and thank you for your question if you are a listener to this show and you'd like to write to me you can do via my website timclairpoet.co.uk there's a contact me button you can click me there uh also you can send me the first page of your novel or you know short story i just want it to be really polished i want the title and the first 250 words no more you know just plain text in the body of the email that's fine i don't need an explanation of how and why you wrote it i don't need a synopsis and first pages only please and i may pick it to uh read on the show i don't you know exercise any particular quality control i just read the ones that turn up that i can find in my inbox um aside from that if you enjoy the show and you like it there's two key ways you can support me firstly by buying one of my novels or indeed both um they are the honors and the ice house at the time of recording uh the honors is still only two pound 39 uh in ebook uh 
in the UK if you uh, want it. I think that's a that's a snap, but you can also get it in its handsome uh, red paperback form, and it's um it's being re released actually in the um, smaller paperback form in, in February next year, along with the second book, The Ice House, which is currently available in a beautiful shiny foil covered hardback um that's the sequel um but they're the the honors in the ice house are coming out in february in the uk in lovely little paperback versions and they look real sexy um they're just like exciting adventure stories with a heart set in 19 it starts in 1935 norfolk and um if you like kind of weird gothic and you like being challenged a little bit i think you will enjoy them a great deal secondly if you want to support the show you can also just uh click the link in the show notes to my coffee page uh it's ko-fi.com forward slash steam claire and you can drop me a few beans to help me keep the lights on i'd use that to cover the hosting costs of the uh, webs of my website and of hosting the show on soundcloud that's it i hope you're well uh sorry this episode came up a bit late i've just been sort of like slightly busy and uh disorganized but i um love you dearly and i hope you have a fantastic week of writing <laughs>